0: Can we just express our appreciation to those who have led us in worship this morning? I want to just say good morning, it is so good to be with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to the time that we're going to share in God's Word over the next few minutes. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Williams, I get to serve here as the lead pastor, and it is a joy for me to have that opportunity. Whether this is your first Sunday here or your thousandth Sunday here, just want to let you know we're so glad you took time out of your weekend to be here with us this morning. And for those of you who are joining us online, I just want to look in the camera and just welcome you, especially. We're so glad that you're here with us. And I know all of you here in the room want to say a warm welcome to those who are joining us online. So can we just welcome them this morning? As Pastor Jessica said earlier, if you are joining us online, we would invite you, if you've got some bread and some juice or some crackers, we'd love for you to just make sure you gather elements so that when we get to the end of this message and we celebrate communion, you can join with us, and we want to encourage you to do that. Now, I've got a message that I want to share with you, but I want to just take just a quick minute or two, and just share a couple things, just a couple quick updates. Uh, yesterday, the sanctuary was full of women at the Priscilla Shire simulcast, and we're so excited about that. We had just a great group of women and wonderful team of uh, Dream Teamers who were helping make that event happen, and we uh, celebrate that. What's most exciting, though, is that yesterday we had two people who made first-time commitments to Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's worth clapping for. And that means right here in this room over the last four weeks, this being the fifth Sunday of this run, we've had 17 people in this room alone make commitments to Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful for what God is doing in our midst. Uh, We celebrate that. Yesterday there were commitments to Christ. There were also a handful of people who made recommitments, just rededicating their lives, coming back to Christ. And, And we just celebrate the way God is working and moving among us. And I wanted you just to have that opportunity to hear that and celebrate that. I also wanted to give you a chance just to have an update on the partnership that we are starting with the Pilgrim Wesleyan Church in Zambia. Uh, a few weeks ago, we launched uh, this partnership, and we had Bishop Colombo here, the former bishop of the Pilgrim Wesleyan Church in Zambia, along with Dr. Henry Smith, and they shared with us about this new university that's going to be started in Zambia that will serve Zambia, but it will serve the entire continent of Africa. It's the first Wesleyan university outside of North America. And we get to be one of the founding partners of this university. And we've we kind of put before you as a congregation a giving challenge as just our initial offering to go towards the startup cost for this university. And we challenge the congregation to listen to the Lord and to, to do what whatever he lays on your heart, and and we said if if you give $3,000, we had a $3,000 match that we were going to combine with that, and our goal was to give at least $6,000. Well, over the first two weeks of offerings, you as a congregation have given almost $4,900. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. It's good stuff. And when you add the $3,000 match to that, we've given $7,894 so far and i know that there are people who spoke to me this morning when they were coming in saying i can still give today right and yes you can today's the last sunday for this particular offering challenge and so if you've planned to give to zambia you can do that you can do that online lakeviewwesleyan.org/give and in the drop down menu select the fund that says other restricted and all of the offerings given to that line this day will go directly to the zambia offering if If you're giving here in person, you can give cash. You can go back to our giving uh, boxes in the back. And we have envelopes back there. You can just put the cash in the envelope, write Zambia on the front, and then that money will go directly there. If you're writing a check, Lakeview Wesleyan Church, put Zambia in the memo line. And we just want to encourage you to give, again, not under any kind of compulsion or duty or feeling obligated to give. Just whatever God lays on your heart, just give it cheerfully. Um, And we believe God is going to move this project forward as his people give faithfully. So thank you for your faithful giving. I do want to turn our attention to the word of God. So if you have a Bible or a device that has a Bible on it, I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 12. This is the fifth message in our series, which we're calling Conversations with Jesus. We've been looking at the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament. Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. The New Testament is the second Part of the Bible and, and in the New Testament, the first four books Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are known as the Gospels. They're different from the rest of the Bible, in that their express purpose is to tell the story of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while the Bible, uh, the rest of the Bible talks about those things, those four books are expressly written to tell us about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what he accomplished for us. And we're looking at the fourth book, the Gospel of John. And we've been walking through the Gospel of John and we've been specifically looking at conversations that Jesus has with individual people Or with groups of people. So what we found is that in Jesus' short time of ministry, which was just about three years of ministry on this planet, he, he was teaching crowds and he was healing the sick and he was casting out demons and he was doing all of this work, raising up disciples and kind of laying the foundation for the movement, which we know as the church. And and, and in the middle of all of that, Jesus spent a lot of time having conversations with people. And so in this series, we've just been saying, what are some of the conversations Jesus had and what can we learn from them? I'm not going to take time to review the whole series. I just want to remind you of what we talked about last week. Last week, we remember Jesus had the conversation in John 8 with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Remember, this crowd of people, religious leaders, they brought this woman who'd been caught in the act and they put her before Jesus and they're really asking for her to be executed and they're they're kind of publicly shaming her and guilting her and in that conversation, we saw Jesus having this radical acceptance of this woman extending grace to her and, and in many ways, inviting the crowd that was accusing her to also extend grace. Remember Jesus said, any of you who are without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone and all of the religious leaders who were accusing this woman, they just walked away one by one. And then all we were left with was Jesus and this woman. And Jesus said, where are all of your accusers? And she says, they're, they're all gone. And Jesus said, well, then I don't condemn you either. He accepted her and he gave her grace. And then right at the end of the conversation, Jesus turns the conversation to say to her in just one simple phrase, go and sin no more. Right? There's this compassionate Jesus that we see in John 8. He accepts her. He welcomes her. He extends grace to her. And then right at the end, he, in essence, in just a short phrase, invites her to a life that's different. A life that would actually begin to match the life that Jesus wants her to live. And so As we think about John eight, I I think the primary picture we have of Jesus is this compassionate Jesus who right at the end invites her to commitment. And and maybe we could say in John eight, we see kind of the softer side of Jesus. I just say that because in John 12, we're gonna see kind of the tougher side of Jesus. This is, this is not the Jesus, he's still gracious, he's still accepting, he's still loving because that's who he is. But in John chapter 12, Jesus is actually gonna call the people he's talking to to a deeper level of commitment. He's not, he's not just welcoming them and accepting them and giving them grace to say, here's grace, now go and do whatever you wanna do. No, Jesus is saying, there's a life that I have for you to live and, and the compassionate Jesus always invites people to commitment. You cannot separate those two things. If you separate either one of them, you do not have a full picture of Jesus. He did not come just to be compassionate and he did not come just to call people to commitment. It is this compassionate Jesus who invites people to commit their lives to him. It's compassion and commitment. It's grace and truth. It's both. And we're going to see that in John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, let's look in John chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 20. This is what it says. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the son of man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity." Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard the voice some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. And then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, we understood from the scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the son of man will die? Just who is this son of man anyway? And Jesus replied, my light will shine for just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there's still time. Then you will become children Of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and he was hidden from them. This is the word of the Lord. Now, We're gonna kinda unpack this conversation, but I think a key right at the beginning of this conversation to understand is this primary metaphor that Jesus uses right at the end of this conversation. It's a metaphor that really stretches throughout the entirety of Scripture, and it's this metaphor of darkness and light darkness and light. What what this metaphor is all about is taking two things that everybody understands. You don't have to explain darkness and light. People know when they're in a dark room. They know when they're in a room that's full of light. We, We understand those two realities, but in Scripture, those two realities are really used to describe kind of two competing philosophies. The philosophy of the world, the the ways that are opposed to God, the the, the way of life that doesn't live the way God wants us to live, that's known as darkness. When things are evil or directed by, by those forces that are opposed to God, those things are considered to be darkness. And on the other side, we have the the word of God and the will of God and the ways of God. And those things are considered to be light. And so there is this struggle between darkness and light. Jesus' own coming was foretold using this very metaphor. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter nine, verse two talks about the fact that there's darkness and there's light. Look at the screen. Those, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. This is Isaiah foretelling the birth of Jesus, that this world is dark, but there's a light that's coming. This is a metaphor that stretches all throughout Scripture. Now, for people who have pursued God down through the ages, we have understood this metaphor that there's darkness and there's light. And and, and for people who are really serious about following God, we want the light to win. It's okay to say amen if you believe in God and you're a follower of his. We want the light to win. That's why we engage in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because we want to see the light overcome the darkness and we want to see the darkness pushed out of this world so that the world becomes everything that God wants it to be. But down through the ages, if you read history, you'll discover that the people who love God and have pursued God and who want light to win over darkness haven't always approached that reality in the best way. There are times when people who love God they, in their desire to see the light win over darkness have decided that their mission in life is to attack the darkness. And, and, and we've done this in all kinds of different ways, right? We've, we've gone to picking up judgmental attitudes, condemning certain people and certain groups, We've actually engaged down through the history of the church in inquisitions, crusades. These were, these were attempts to see the light advance, but the way that we were gonna see the light advance was by attacking the darkness and getting rid of the darkness. And, and this, you know, stretches into Christian groups who, who decide that the best way to kind of redeem the world is if we can just make laws that will just constrict people to behaviors. Even if they're not Christians, at least they'll behave like Christians, right? And, and so we get really serious about that and we protest and we picket and, and, and we boycott and we do all of these things. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that every single one of those things is always wrong in every situation, I'm just simply pointing out that the way for light to overcome the darkness isn't by attacking the darkness. It's by making the light shine brighter. I was reading in a book not too long ago, and the author of this book said this, the church doesn't exist for itself. It exists to serve the world. It's not ultimately about the church. It's about all of the people that God wants to bless through the church. When the church loses sight of this, it loses its heart. This is especially true today in the world we live in, where so many people are hostile to the church, and many for good reason. We reclaim the church, this author says, as a blessing machine. Not only because that's what Jesus intended from the beginning, but also because serving people is the only way their perceptions of church are ever going to change. That's why it's so toxic for the gospel when Christians picket and boycott and complain about how bad the world is. This behavior doesn't help; it makes it worse. It isn't the kind of voice Jesus wants his followers to have in the world. Why blame the dark for being dark? It's far more helpful to ask why the light isn't as bright as it could be. I want you to hear that last phrase again. Why blame the dark for being dark? it's far more helpful to ask why the light isn't as bright as it could be. Now, some of you think, well, that's what an author has to say, so I thought I'd just take you to the Word of God and show you where it says, in essence, the same thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 21, look at the screen. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with evil good. In other words, the strategy for God's people isn't to be attacking and condemning and judging and and just after the darkness. No, our job is to bring light where darkness currently reigns. And the way that we overcome evil is is not by attacking. We overcome evil with good, by being the kind of people that God wants us to be, people who reflect his truth and his light and his glory in this world. In short, the lesson of this conversation is very simply this. We overcome the darkness with bright living, We overcome the darkness with bright living. And what I want to do just for the rest of our time together this morning is just talk to you about some of the characteristics of bright living. But before I do that, I want to just point out where this comes in this passage of scripture. In John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, this is right at the end of the conversation. Jesus says, My light will shine for you just a little longer walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going put your trust in the light while there is still time then you will become children of the light in these verses Jesus is inviting the people he's having this conversation with to to kind of Walk with him to to there's a bit of a progression in this story. Walk in the light, put your trust in the light, and then you actually become something different. You actually become light. Children of light. And you take light with you wherever you go. If you have walked in the light and you've put your trust in the light. In in other words, the way to live brightly in this world is to connect yourself to the light of Jesus Christ and become so close to him that his light is placed inside of you so that wherever you go, you're shining his light in a dark world. And, and, and just in case you were wondering, I, I've never been in a dark room where when you turn the light on, darkness wins. I've never never turned a light on and and then the darkness just overcame it. The, The light always pushes back the darkness every time. The way that we shine brighter is just connecting ourselves to Jesus Christ and becoming like him and letting him put his light in us. Long before the days of Apple Watch, which, I mean, I don't even, it just makes me shudder to think about those days, but, but, but they did exist. There was a day before Apple Watch, and, and, and I had a watch that, that I wore uh, before Apple Watch was a thing, and, and, and this watch kind of had a neat, neat feature. Besides being made the old-fashioned way with, like, gears and hands and stuff, um, like, it, it had a really cool feature in that the hands of the watch could glow in the dark, And so if you found yourself in a situation where all of a sudden the lights went out and, and you needed to tell what time it was, you could look down at your watch and you could still see the hands. Even if you didn't have any external light, you could look down and you could know what time it was. Here's the thing about this watch though. In order for the hands to glow in the dark, it had to be exposed to light first. So if you took this watch and you put it in a drawer for a long time and you just left it there and then you pulled it out in a dark room, nothing would change because there was no light that had been charged up inside of those hands. It had just been around the dark so long that that it had lost its charge. And so you could pull it out and look at it and you couldn't see it glowing in the dark because it wasn't glowing. It didn't have the light inside of it. But if you took that watch and even just for a few minutes held it up to a light bulb and just let those hands charge up, you could go into the darkest place and you'd be able to look down and see the hands of that watch. I think that that is how it works for us. That, that if you're a follower of Jesus and you live your life as a Christian, if you don't spend the time that you need to spend in the word of God and in the presence of God, communicating with God, you will not be charged up to go into the dark environments in our world and actually be able to shine the light in those places. This is why it is so critical for those of us who are walking with Jesus to actually spend time with him to let his light charge us up so that his light is inside of us and then we walk into those environments and his light shines forth. And for those of you who maybe aren't walking with Jesus, I'm inviting you today to consider connecting your life to his. Because for a whole bunch of us in this room, we've just discovered that walking with Jesus is the best possible way you could live your life. And, and you might not believe me, and I'm just gonna challenge you to just try me. I mean, just, just test it out. And if you try it out for a few months, and you're like, nope, Jesus didn't help me, you just let me know, we'll give you your money back, and you can move on with your life. I just believe Jesus is the best possible answer in this world. Amen. And I'm, I'm inviting you to consider connecting your life to him so that you too can live a bright life that changes the world. So what does a bright life look like? In the very few minutes we have remaining, I wanna just walk you through very quickly four characteristics of a bright life. And the first one is this, complete surrender. Complete surrender. In verse 25, Jesus says this, and these words are gonna be on the screen. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. This is a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. Remember I said last week was the softer side of Jesus, the compassionate side, but this is the commitment side of Jesus. And he actually uses this kind of language a lot in his teachings. In fact, in one place, he will say to to people around him, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow me. In another place, he says to people, now, wait a minute. Before you follow me, you should count the cost. Don't just make an emotional decision because this is going to demand everything from you. So you should know what you're getting into. And he actually says, you wouldn't go build a building without knowing how much it's going to cost and making sure you had enough to pay for it. And he says, so you should actually count the cost before you decide to follow me. Because when you decide to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. This is the commitment Jesus, right? Compassionate, yes, always, but also asking and inviting and challenging us to make commitments of complete surrender where we sell out. The early church fathers called this reckless abandon. They they called it this sense of just, just giving yourself over completely to the Lord, letting him have complete control. And we need this in our lives. And so for those of you in the room who are Christ followers, if you've not given everything to him, I wanna just challenge you to completely surrender every part of your life to him because it's only when you are completely surrendered that God can put his light fully inside of you to shine brightly in a dark world. The second characteristic of a bright life is what, what I'm called reckless love. And, and, and the word reckless is not a word I particularly like. I, I just looked for a word that would, that would communicate the extreme nature of the kind of love we're supposed to have for the world. And, and reckless was the best word I could come up with. And, and you'll find a better one and you'll email me and it'll be fine. And, and, and I'll update the record next week. But, but, but I, I wanted us to, to think about the fact that, that we are not called to love the world and the people in the world who are in darkness for our own sake. We're called to just love them unconditionally for their sake and for the sake of our God, right? In in the book of John in chapter 13, and it's in verse 35, we read that the way that they will know that we are disciples is by the way that we love, This is a defining mark of the Christian life and it's not love because you've done something for me lately, right? That's love the way the world loves. That I'll love you as long as you're doing what I want you to do or I'll love you as long as I'm getting something from you, right? That's the way of the world but that's not the kind of love we are called to have. We are called to have the love that the Father has And that kind of love is unconditional love. It loves without an expectation of a return. It loves because when we look at people, even if they are in darkness, they still are people created in the image of God, people whom God so loved that he sent his only son to die for them and we're called to have the same kind of love that he has for us. In Romans chapter five, verse eight, we're told that God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is reckless love. This is God who just comes from heaven, becomes one of us in every way, and yet is without sin, gives his life freely on the cross to cover our sins and make us new and change our lives. This is the love of God. And if you keep reading in Romans chapter five, you'll find that the Holy Spirit, when we are people who are walking in relationship with God, the Holy Spirit takes that love and sheds it abroad in our hearts so that the very same love that God has loved us with, we can love others with. This is why John Wesley, when he described what it looked like to live a holy life, used terminology of perfect love. He said, when you are living exactly the life that God wants you to live, you will love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you will love your neighbor just like you love yourself. We are called to be people of love. And if we want to be bright in this world, we have to be completely sold out to God and we have to be recklessly in love with the people around us. Radically caring for them, ministering to them, hurting with them and administering the love of God into their lives. Complete surrender, reckless love. Third, we have to willingly serve We have to willingly serve. This is what we are called to as God's people. And in case you haven't noticed in the world today, the people of God don't often have a good reputation. In fact, the world I would say in many ways is hostile toward the church. And they will throw all kinds of words toward us. They'll say that we're hateful or we're bigots or, or we're just old-fashioned or prudish. And they're pushing us to conform to the ways of the world. They, they want the, the light to look like the dark. And, and, and because of all of that, because of that hostility towards the people of God, here's the reality. We don't have as much voice as we used to have. And, and I know that even as I say it, for some of you, you just feel like a, there's a bit of pain in your heart. And we can spend all of our time and energy lamenting that fact or, or, or kind of lashing out at the world and telling them they really should listen to us. Or we can actually get busy about helping the light shine brighter. Because I think the way to have a voice in a culture that is hostile towards us is because we are so sold out to God. We have such deep love for everyone around us. And whenever we can, we roll up our sleeves and we go to work to serve the people around us and meet needs and make a difference. And if we're doing that, we will have a voice to speak into people's lives. Now, will our culture ever put us back in the center? Who cares? Who who cares? Just serve the people around you and make a difference in their life and just let the work of God ripple out from where you live and make a difference in your neighborhood and in your work environment and the school where you attend. Just let it ripple out. And whether the culture ever bows down and and serves the church, who cares? We're just going to be about the business of changing the world one life at a time. Just like yeast works its way through a lump of dough. You can't see it. You can't find it. You can't pull it back out once you've put it in the dough. It's in there. That's who we are. And we don't need anybody to recognize us or put us on a platform or honor us. We're just gonna go out there because we're completely sold out to God. We love with the love of God and we serve everyone around us and we meet needs and we're just gonna make a difference. That's what we're called to. One more characteristic, and it's this, that if we're gonna be people who shine brightly in this world, we have to have selfless sacrifice, and this is why complete surrender is the first step in the process, because as you love and serve in the way that God has called us to love and serve, it's going to cost you something. There are just going to be moments when you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and you're going to have to get your hands dirty and, and, and it's just the way it is. Or, or you're going to have to come alongside of someone who's in a really tough, difficult situation, and it's going to be messy, and they're going to take two steps forwards and 18 steps backwards, and you're going to wonder, is it even worth it? Am, am I making any difference? And you're going to have to stay in it, and it's going to cost you something. Or God's going to ask you to take something that you have and give it to someone else because they need it more than you do, and that's going to cost you, and you're going to have to sacrifice this is, what, this is what it means to, to follow Jesus, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. In this passage of scripture, Jesus says right at the beginning or near the beginning in verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. It's just one seed, it's just one life. But its death, if it is planted in the ground and it actually dies as seeds do, when it dies, it will produce new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives." And what God is inviting every single one of us into is a life that actually counts for something beyond just this life that we're living in. He's asking us to give our lives for something that will count for all of eternity. And that's gonna require sacrifice in our lives. There are gonna be some things we have to lay down, our comfort, our, our contentment, our safety. We're gonna have to step out in faith and let God use us however he wants to use us. That is the sacrifice that is demanded of us. God is inviting us not to be people who go out and attack the darkness. He's asking us to be people who walk so closely with him that our lives are bright, with his truth and his spirit and his presence. And then we just take that out into the world and we just live for him wherever we go. And we just let his light shine. In every room that we walk into, light always wins. It always wins. You just walk into a dark place and you shine the light and you just watch the darkness begin to be pushed back. This morning, as we bring our time to a close and then we're gonna celebrate communion, I just wanna invite everybody just for a moment of reflection before we head into communion, just to bow your heads and close your eyes and, and just to take a moment to evaluate your own life. And, and I know a lot of people in this room are walking in relationship with God. You're already a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus and, and you're committed to him. And he's forgiven your sins. He's changed your life. And you really are trying to walk on this journey. And, and if that's you today, and, and you've been sitting here in this room and God's challenging you, maybe it's surrender. Maybe it's sacrifice or love or service. What, whatever one of those characteristics, or maybe it's a collection of them that God's challenging you and saying, you know what? I need more of that in my life. I need God's help to, to, to surrender or to love or to serve or to be willing to give it all for Him. If that's you this morning, I just want to ask you to slip your hand up because I want to just pray for you this morning. So if God's challenging you as someone already walking with Him to shine brighter for Him, just raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you this morning. Yeah, Their hands going up all over the room hands going up all over the room. God, you see every one of these hands right now, and you see every heart that they represent, and I'm just praying, God, this morning that you would just meet every single person right where they are, and whatever it is you're challenging them with, would you, in this moment, administer your grace and your truth into their lives? And would you make them shine brighter for you as they walk this journey forward from here? Fill them in a fresh and new way with your spirit and do a work in their lives. Now, there may be some of you here in this room this morning who are not walking with Jesus. Maybe you're here, someone invited you or you just decided to come today and you're in a situation where you, you, you heard the invitation earlier to connect your life to Jesus and, and maybe you're willing to just say, I'm gonna give it a try. I, I think I wanna connect my life to Jesus. I, I want my life to count for something and I want to be forgiven and changed and I wanna shine brightly and make a difference in this world. And if that's you today, all I'm asking you to do right where you're at, is just raise your hand. If you'd like to make a commitment to Jesus today, just raise your hand. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to come down front. Just want you to raise your hand. Just hold it up high and keep it there. There be anybody today. God, you see our hearts in this room and we're grateful, Lord, for just the way that you are working in our lives. And God, we're asking now as we go to communion, Lord, to celebrate the grace that you have poured out on our hearts and on our lives, that you would draw us closer to yourself. And that even today, God, as we participate in this act, which our brothers and sisters all around the world are participating in, Lord, I pray that you would remind us we belong to one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father who is over all of us, not just all of us in this room, but all of us in the church in every place and in every culture. And God, your grace is enough for all of us. So God, today we thank you, we praise you, and we commit these next few moments to you now, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now you've already been told this morning that this is World Communion Sunday, and this is a practice that the Church of Jesus Christ has participated in since Jesus. And on Jesus' very last supper with his disciples, he instituted this practice. And, and this practice is something we have participated in as the church and every generation and every culture, in every place. And we celebrate it this morning not just as a representation of God's grace that his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us but we celebrate the fact that there's really just one church. And even though we have multiple stations this morning and you'll come to one and someone on the other side of the room will go to a different one, it's really just one table because there's just one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is father of us all. And that's what we celebrate this morning. So I wanna give you just a bit of instruction and then I'm gonna pray to consecrate the elements. There are those that have come prepared to serve us uh, this morning. And if that's you, I would invite you to go ahead and take your place and begin to prepare yourself for that. For those of you who are in the congregation, we just want you to know communion here at Lakeview is open to everyone who is walking in a right relationship with God. So you don't have to be a member of our church or even be a part of the Wesleyan Church. If you are a follower, of Jesus Christ and you're walking in relationship with him, you're welcome to come to the table this morning. And if you're here this morning and and you've not been a Christian before you walked into this room, but right now in this moment, you decide to repent of your sins and become a Christian, you too are welcome at the table. Everybody who's walking in relationship with God is welcome at the table this morning. And so, uh, Here's how we're gonna proceed in these moments. When you stand, you're gonna to move to the outside wall. So if you're on this side of the room, when you stand, you're gonna go that way to the closest aisle. And if you're on this side, you're gonna go that way to the closest aisle. And then when you, when you get to that aisle, you're gonna come down to the front, to the table that's in front of your section. You'll receive a piece of bread and you'll dip that into the cup and then you'll receive the elements right up here before you return to your seat. And then uh, we're just gonna ask you as you return to your seat just to be in reverent prayer until everyone is done receiving the elements and then I'm gonna come back and close us in prayer and dismiss you from this service. I wanna pray one more time to consecrate these elements and then I'm gonna invite you to come to the table. Lord, we pause at the end of this service now to again thank you for Jesus that he was willing to come To die on the cross for our sins so that we could be made right with you. His body was broken and his blood was poured out. And this morning, God, I pray that you would take these loaves of bread and these cups that we have prepared and that you would take these everyday, ordinary elements and infuse them now with your grace so that as we receive these elements, this bread and this cup, we would literally receive the grace that you are pouring out on our lives in this moment. And let us be mindful that we are not just doing this with this group of people in this room, but we are doing this as part of a worldwide community known as the Church of Jesus Christ. And let us feed on you in our hearts with thanksgiving. So we give you these moments now and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. My brothers and sisters, come to the table of the Lord and receive his grace.